great encouragement. Got a new song for you today, Hope Vale. Let's stand up. Go! Oh, oh. So hey everybody, I'm Billy, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Vale, so glad you're here to worship with us. We're going to continue to sing of what God's love does for us.
sings about how God's love just doesn't change, how he's constant, and how he's steady through the ages. Ah, what a promise. I love that so much. Hope you do too. Here we go, band. Go.
grateful to come into a place where we can all just say, God, you, you awaken us and you remind us that your love never fails. And I know that there's all of us are going through some tough times. I know some people in here are going through some of the toughest times. And God, there's one thing that stays steady like a lighthouse when waves are bashing and crashing all around. And it's you, God, you stay steady. And you don't change. Your purposes remain the same. And God, we repeated that phrase, you make all things work together for our good. Help us to believe that, God. If we have a hard time really singing that and believing that, help us to, to reach out and believe that. Today is a day where we get to learn more about your glory and learn more about how powerful you are and how great you are. God, would you speak into some of those things through your scriptures today as we worship you and as we meditate on you, as we take communion later, and as we just celebrate what's going on here at Hope Vale and what you're doing. God, all this is for you. We show up here to say, God, we love you. We want to be inspired to go out into our Monday and live a life for you that, man, that you'd be proud of. So God, would you be proud of us today for showing up and giving you our attention? And uh, we'll give you all the glory as we do in your name. The church says together. Amen. God bless you, gang. Glad you're here today. Uh, hey, uh, before you have a seat, take a second, say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in just a second. Thanks. Good morning again. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And man, what a, just an awesome time of worship this morning. There's, there's just some special moments where we get to gather together and lift the name of Jesus on high and just give him the praise and the, the worship that he deserves. Just an awesome time. Hey, if you're here for the first time this morning. We just want to extend a special welcome to you. Just so glad that you've chosen to be here today and to worship uh, here at Hopevale. And so our, our hope and prayer for you is that today you can just meet with God in a really new and fresh and personal way. So thanks for being here this morning. Hey, if you've been here uh, the last couple of weeks, you know that our Operation Christmas Child uh, churchwide project has been going on. So I just wanted to give an update about that. Just thank you guys so much for participating in that. That's a project where we fill empty shoeboxes with gifts of toys and things to, to send to kids all over the world. And each one of those boxes not only represents a child who's going to receive it, but their family as well who's going to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ who loves them and died for them. And, and we want them to respond to that incredible gift that God has given to them. And it's done through a, a simple gift of a shoebox. And so uh, as a church, we, we packaged uh, over 1,100 boxes this year. Just an, Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys so much. 
And then not only that, but our, our youth ministry tonight at, on South Campus, they're going to be packing probably another 400 boxes as part of uh, their gathering tonight. So we're just really excited about that. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for being a part of that and, and giving towards that uh, so that kids can just be filled with the joy of that gift and hearing about who Jesus is. Uh, kind of along those lines also, we, uh, we are sending a team of 12 people down to Charlotte, North Carolina next week, and they will be working all week in a processing center down there, which is literally like uh, an old Sam's Club warehouse, and the cartons of shoeboxes are, are stacked up to the rafters. I mean, millions of boxes go through that facility there, and so our team is going to go down there and just be a part of processing boxes. So they open uh, every box that comes through and just double check that all the gifts in there are appropriate. And so we're just gr uh, grateful for our uh, team of people who made themselves available to go and do that. And uh, we've got actually them here uh, in the in the congregation today. So if you're part of that team, would you just stand for a minute? We'd just like to recognize you guys. Awesome. And here in just a minute, we're going to pray for them as they go as well. And as we prepare to do that, I want to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare to give. You know, and uh, this, this has been an incredible series, this Back to Basics series that we have been a part of. And I'm, I think I, I may be most excited for the message today, just talking about how, you know, it's, it's all for the glory of God alone. And I really think that, you know, that captures so much just the heart of what we're all about here at Hopevale. You know, it really is not about us or any individuals or even, you know, this group of people who gathers here on a Sunday morning. And we do all of those things so that God can receive the glory. You know, we pack shoeboxes so God can receive the glory. We have a youth group meeting on uh, South Campus on Sunday nights so that God would receive the glory through that. We send teams to North Carolina so that God would receive the glory through everything that we do. And so as part of this opportunity that we have to give back to him, it's towards that end that we give, that God would just receive all the glory for all the activities that take place here at Hopevale. It's all about him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for the opportunity that we have to worship you and to give you the glory that you deserve. God, our, our heart's desire is that that would happen in every aspect of our lives, whether it's here singing on a Sunday morning or gathering with family and friends uh, through community groups throughout the week. Uh, God, just whatever activities we're, we're a part of, going to work on a daily basis. God, that you would just use our lives as an outpouring and a reflection of who you are. God, this morning, we just want to take a moment to recognize how good you have been to us and Lord, that, that gets expressed in so many different ways, whether it's uh, our chance to give back our finances to you or pack a shoebox or whatever it is. And so God, we just want to pray for uh, those children who will be receiving a shoebox that we've packed over the last couple weeks. God, you already know exactly who is going to get each of those boxes that were packed. You know their name, you know their situation, and we just pray that that gift really would be instrumental in them coming to know you in a personal way, to know how much you love them. And God, for our team going to, to Charlotte next week, we just pray uh, for their time together. God, we pray for safety as they go. We pray for unity as a team as they work really hard standing and going through boxes for an entire week. God, I just pray that every part of what they're going to experience 
uh, would just be uh, encouraging and challenging to them in their own walk with you and that it would stretch them to even uh, new possibilities for what serving you looks like on a daily basis. And God, for this offering that we're about to give right now, we just pray that you would take and use these gifts, multiply them for your kingdom, God, that more and more people would have the opportunity to know who you are, to know what you have done for us, and that we could live on a daily basis just reflecting the goodness of who you are. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Hopevale. Want to welcome you. Want to welcome those of you watching in the venue as well who are part of our Bay City core group. Great to have you with us. Hey, before we get to the message, uh, just have a few announcements. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here at Hopevale, joined by Cass Ferris, who's one of our elders. And we want to give you an update on our Christmas outreach offering that we launched last month as part of our vision series. Uh, as we told you, we started this year's offering earlier this year because we've expanded our vision. So in addition to you know, funding ministry projects both locally and globally that go to minister to people beyond the four walls of our church, we also want to be able to launch a new Hopevale Church in Bay City in February of 2018. And so to do that, we want to be able to fund the upfront expenses that go to getting started as well as covering as much of the first year of ministry costs as possible. And so with that new vision, we kicked things off last month and we have some updates, don't we? We sure do, Dan. Uh, as the elders and the staff began this journey together, uh, we put forward a goal of $350,000 for us together uh, to help us with the, the expenses tied to getting into Bay City and to staying into Bay City. And today, uh, we wanted to give you an update of where we are so far and to, to encourage you. Uh, so far, uh, we have collected uh, over $111,000. Wow. So, <laughs> amen. Amen. And God is blessing, and we hope those of you who have participated in that giving project that you feel God is uh, returning that to you in many ways, but we want to continue that momentum. We want to keep going. Um, there are ways to give, uh, one of which is if the uh, Christmas outreach offering envelopes uh, are available out at the, uh, at the Welcome Center, and we want to encourage you to continue to do that. We also want to share with you that any gifts that are giving given that may go beyond that number. It's possible, gang, that God's number is much higher than what we have put forward. And so we want to encourage you as you feel led to make sure that you continue to give through this project. And as all of the monies that come in above and beyond our goal will be put forward to this project, but it will allow us to reallocate some budgeted dollars back into ministries and to expand the existing uh, outreach offering projects that we, uh, that we do on a daily, uh, yearly basis. So again, just want to say congratulations. I want to say thank you. 
and we want to say let's keep it going. Great. Thank you, Cass. Appreciate that update. I also want to let you know, too, that uh, a couple Fridays from now, Friday, December 1st, that John Glenn High School, beginning at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a prayer and worship night together as a church family, okay? And this is for all of us. This isn't just the Bay City campus. This is the Saginaw campus. This is all of us coming together, going into the space where we're launching our Bay City campus and praying for God's blessing, asking for him to guide our way. So we'll have a time of worship. Pastor Billy and Stephanie will help lead that. We'll have a time of prayer that Pastor Steve and I will lead. And we're really asking God to go before us. You know, the Bible says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. And so we don't want to do anything in our own strength, but we're asking God to invade the space that we'll be in. You know, I think some of you, uh, of the time we had in this physical space right here when this was a farm field, we gathered seven plus years ago and prayed for God's blessing. And look what happened. I mean, God is working in tremendous ways. And that's our heart for this event as well. So that's uh, Friday, December 1st, 7 o'clock, John Glenn High School in the auditorium, and look forward to having you there. Well, today we're going to wrap up our Back to Basics series, right? Back to Basics, where we are looking at the essentials of Christianity and the importance of keeping the main thing the main thing. This series overlapped with the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, when on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses of Protest to the front door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Among other things, great change came about of that. Because of the Reformation, the Bible was put into the hands of the common language and the common people. Also, we saw a return back to the simplicity and the purity of the gospel message that God's loving salvation is for everyone. Everyone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's the heart of the Reformation. So in this series, we've worked our way through what is known as, you know, the, the five basics or the five solas of the Reformation. Sola being the Latin word meaning only or alone. And so week by week, we've been talking about sola scriptura, scripture alone, sola gratis, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone. That's what we looked at last week. And then finally, soli deo gloria, God's glory alone. The alone means that we don't have to add anything else. We don't need to add anything else. We can't add anything else of any value to what Jesus has already done for us through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. No, there's nothing additional that God requires from us. All he asks is that we respond with simple belief in Jesus. Simple belief in Jesus, absolute trust, wholehearted faith in him and him alone. See, the point of the Reformation was this. Christianity was never meant to be complicated. Never meant to be complicated. That's why we kicked this series off in week one with John chapter three, verse 16, a verse familiar to many of you. John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
God sent his son Jesus into our world not to improve good people and make them better. No, Jesus came to rescue spiritually perishing people like us and to bring us into eternal life both now and forever. God so loved the world, God so loved you. See, the story of Christianity is the story of God's love. God's, I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you back to me kind of love. That's what the basics are all about. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and look at this fifth and final basic of the Protestant Reformation, the essentials of Christianity, and it's this, soli deo gloria, God's glory alone. We live for the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. Today's message is going to be very straightforward with one simple question. What are you living for? What are you living for? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you go to work or why do you go to school? Why do you come to church? Why do you stay single or why do you stay married? Why do you sacrifice for your kids? Why do you make the purchases that you do? Why do you borrow the money that you do? Why do you do all the things that you do? What motivates your choices? What motivates your decisions? What motivates your yeses, your noes? What are you living for? What am I living for? 500 years ago, Martin Luther and the other reformers asked that same question, and in light of wanting to bring Christianity back to basics, in light of wanting us to see the simplicity of the gospel message, they declared that the only proper response for someone who God has saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, is this, I will live for the glory of God. I will live for the glory of God and God alone. Not for the glory of the church, not for the glory of its leaders, not for the glory of self and all the things that I've accomplished. No, the only proper response to the love of God and a life that's changed by Jesus Christ is the glory of God. That should be the motivation for everything we do. We live for the glory of God alone. So what does that mean, right? What does it mean to live for the glory of God alone? How do we do that? Why does it matter? Well, to begin to answer those questions, I thought we'd start by looking at how this played out in the life of someone else first. And that someone else is the New Testament historical figure by the name of the Apostle Paul. We're first introduced to Paul in the book of Acts, or also known as the Acts of the Apostles. Now, the book of Acts records the origins of the Christian church back in the first century, that following the death resurrection and ascension of Jesus. It shows how Jesus' original disciples shared his gospel and how it spread throughout the Middle East and the Mediterranean world. Along the way, these first Christians, though, experienced a lot of opposition, a lot of persecution. And one of those leading the way was a religious leader by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Chapter 8 tells us that Saul went house to house arresting Christians, putting them into prison. Why? Simply because they were followers of Jesus. He even gave approval to the execution of a disciple named Stephen that fueled by a misguided religious zeal, Saul's motivation in life was to oppose the message of Jesus by all means necessary. All means necessary, but all that changed when Saul had this supernatural, unexpected encounter with the living God. Acts chapter 9 tells us that as he was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, as he's traveling to the Middle Eastern city of Damascus to arrest and imprison even more Christians, that, quote, a light from heaven flashed around him. 
He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The Lord replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now go, get up, go to Damascus and, I, and, and you will be told what you must do. And so there were others traveling with Saul. They stood there speechless because they had heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Meanwhile, Saul has remained blinded by that shining light, and so his companions had to lead him into Damascus. From there, God used a man by the name of Ananias to help Saul process this life-changing encounter with the Lord and to guide Saul into this new life calling of sharing the gospel message with those who had not yet heard about Jesus. Now, you know, it, it's this unique amazing, one-of-a-kind story, right? I get that. And yet, in some ways, it's a lot like the story of every single person who, encounter Jesus, who encounters Jesus, right? Who experiences his life-changing love by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It really is. Well, Saul eventually becomes the Apostle Paul. And towards the end of his life, as he's sharing his story with a ministry protege by the name of Timothy, he recounts his violent past, and he puts that into perspective in light of his new life in Jesus Christ. This is what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy statement saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Of whom I am the worst. Now, this one verse, it's both general and specific. It's both universal and personal. That when it comes to explaining the mission of Jesus, of why Jesus came into the world, there it is. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. He came to bring forgiveness to all of humanity who stands guilty before a holy God who's deserving of his righteous wrath, of his everlasting punishment. See, Jesus was more than just a good person, a moral teacher, a positive role model, and even just more than a miracle worker. Yes, he indeed was all these things, but he also came and he died to be our Savior. That is the general, that is the universal. But Paul goes on to say that in coming to save sinners, that Jesus also saved him the worst of all sinners. The worst. So line everyone up, compare the list of crimes, the rap sheets, the severity of offenses. And you know who was the worst of all? Me, Paul said. Me. I violently opposed Jesus. I had Christians arrested and thrown into jail. I even went along with having some of them executed for their faith. So you think you've messed up in life? I mean, I was the absolute worst. The worst. But you know what? Jesus even saved me. See, as great as my sin was, his grace was even greater still. This is Paul's story. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, all sinners, even the worst of the bunch, like me. That's Paul's story. That's Paul's message. And he goes on, verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So then me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. His immense patience. Why? As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Our God is merciful. He's merciful. That our God in his grace gives us what we don't deserve, and in his mercy he spares us from what we do deserve. 
Paul knew that firsthand. And so because of this transformational experience, his life took on a whole new meaning. He now became this living, breathing example of God's immense patience and infinite mercy. So think about it. As he's going around sharing with other people about the love of Jesus, he could also tell them, listen, you are never too far from the reach of God's love. Never. There's no sin too great, no past too dark that's beyond the mercy of Jesus. Because if God can forgive a person like me with a past like mine, Paul says, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he can and he will also forgive you. So believe in Jesus, he says. Receive eternal life. That's his new purpose as this living, breathing example. You know, for some of you, I wish the Apostle Paul could materialize right here before our very eyes, look at you and tell you directly that no matter the guilt, no matter the shame, no matter the past, that God loves you. God loves you. Ask him to be your savior. Receive the freedom of forgiveness and experience eternal life in Jesus, right? That's the heart of the gospel message. And I really believe that's what Paul would tell you if he were here. But you know what? It's not just the message of Paul's life. It's also the message of my life. It is. It's the message of everyone else's life here who knows Jesus personally as Savior and follows him as Lord. Sure, you may not have had the kind of violent past that Paul had. So from that standpoint, maybe you're not the quote-unquote worst. But you know what? God doesn't measure our badness comparatively. No, he measures it individually. And so from that standpoint, guess what? We're all the worst of sinners. We are. Listen, if we think that any part of God's acceptance and forgiveness to us is is based on the fact that we're somehow not as bad as the other people around us, then we've entirely missed the point of this series. We've missed the point of the Reformation. We've missed the basic message of Christianity that we are saved by grace alone and nothing else, through faith alone and nothing else, in Jesus Christ alone and no one else, right? The worst of sinners. That's all. That's Paul's story as a Christian. It's ours as well. And all that, God taking sinful people and showing and pouring out his infinite mercy on us, it all leads to this, verse 17. So what's Paul's response to his life story? Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So here's Paul after telling his life story. He explains his life purpose. Here it is, that to God and God alone should be all the glory and the honor forever and ever. Amen. In other words, as he's going around saying, you know, if you're amazed at how radically God has changed my life, don't make it about me, make it about him. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. See, in the end, it boils down to two life philosophies, two um, underlying motivations, two ultimate purposes that all of us choose, that we can either live for our own glory or we can live for the glory of God. We either live for our own glory or we live for the glory of God. One motivation says, look at me. Notice me. See how wonderful I am. The other motivation says, look at him. Notice him. Notice how wonderful our God is. Be amazed by his grace and what it's done in my life. 
You know, for Christians and non-Christians alike, it is so tempting to look to someone else or something else other than Jesus Christ for things like affirmation, acceptance, approval, applause, affection, the list is endless. And we can buy into the lie that if we can impress other people, then those voids in our lives will be filled. But that's not how it works. No, when we try to live for the approval, the affection, the applause of others, all we're doing is robbing God of his glory, the glory that he rightfully deserves, and that in turn is going to leave us feeling hollow and empty on the inside. See, if we believe that Jesus Christ is truly enough for us, that in his love there is all the acceptance and affirmation and approval and affection and applause that we could ever need, And guess what? It frees us. We're freed from living a life of trying to impress other people. We don't want the glory. We don't need the glory. No, everything we do is now motivated by what? By a passion that points people to Jesus. Now to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what's it look like then when we live for the glory of God? Well, we'll get to some specifics in a moment. But before I do, I first want to share this diagram with you because I think it lays a good foundation for us to build upon. Remember when I asked you at the beginning, what are you living for? What are you living for? Well, when you aim for God's glory, when that becomes your life motivation, it looks something like this, right? That when we aim for the glory of God, it leads us to caring about the good of others, right? We care about the good of others, and when we care about the good of others, you know what? It leads us to a place of personal joy. See, living for the glory of God leads to maximum joy. Maximum joy. When we aim to do everything for the glory of God, when our eyes are fixed on him and not ourselves, do you know what happens? It enlarges our world. It it grows our heart, it expands our love, and we genuinely become interested in the needs of others. We do, or as Jesus said, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So you know what happens when we look at other people? We're no longer thinking, what can I get from them? But there's a shift, and we start thinking, what can I give to them? Because we as Christians, and the Holy Spirit floods our lives with the overflowing love of Jesus, we're now empowered to move beyond our own selfishness and genuinely care about the person in front of us. And guess what? That's what leads us to a place of maximum joy, that this side of heaven, we will experience our greatest contentment, our deepest fulfillment when we live for the glory of God and the good of others. A few centuries ago, when a group of Christian leaders tried to answer in one simple statement the question of what we should be living for and why we're even here on this planet, they came up with this, that the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end, the primary purpose for the believer in Jesus Christ, why we even exist, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever forever. Do you know why you're on this earth? Do you know why God created you? Do you know why Jesus came to save you? Do you know your life purpose? Here it is, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know what I love about this statement? I love that this statement injects joy into the conversation of religion. See, for a lot of people, you might be one of them. Joy is the last word you think of when it comes to God and church and religion and Christianity, right? And maybe that's your past experience, but listen, it was never meant to be that way. No, God created us. God created the world around us so that we could experience his joy. Your chief end, your life purpose is to glorify your God and enjoy him now, always, 
and forever. Unfortunately, though, many of us get this mixed up, right? We flip this script, and we make joy, happiness, pleasure, the pursuit of all these good vibes, right, our primary purpose. But it doesn't work that way. See, when we aim for joy first, it leads to self-centered living. It leads to me-first choices where we walk around in life thinking we're the center of our own universe. And if that's how we go through life, we're never going to find joy that way. See, joy is an outcome. It's not a target. It's an outcome, not a target. It's an outcome of a life that's lived for the glory of God that cares about the good of others. And from that, you experience joy. See, some of you know what I'm talking about because you have been chasing after deep joy all your life, but it's been so elusive. And yeah, you might have these moments of surface happiness, but they go away just like that, right? No, we live for the glory of God. And when we live for the glory of God, it enlarges our heart where we care about the good of others. And you know what? That leads us to a place of great joy. See, we were made for so much more so much more. Live for something bigger than yourself. Live for the glory of God. Live for the good of others. And guess what? The joy will come. The joy will, I promise you, the joy will come when you live for the glory of God. So if that's the case, what does it look like when you live for the glory of God? Well, here's the good news. Anything you do can be done for the glory of God. Anything you do, it's not just limited to the one hour on Sunday when you're here at church, but of all 168 hours of your week, anything you do can be done for the glory of God. And it's not just limited to a select group either. First century apostles, 16th century reformers, or 21st century pastors. No, anyone and everyone who knows and follows Jesus can live their lives for the glory of God. Look at what the Apostle Paul says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you, that pretty much covers it, right? Do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. See, in this context, Paul was trying to help a group of first century Christians work through a conflict in their church that was over some relatively trivial matter. And so the point he wanted to make with them and us is that simple, ordinary, everyday acts like eating and drinking can have sacred purposes when we do them for God's glory. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So how can we live for the glory of God and the good of others this week? Well, the possibilities are endless, right? But let me give you a few suggestions. And a lot of these suggestions are in light of some of the current things happening around us, what we're seeing in the news, what we're reading online, what, you know, the coverage says, and we're trying to say, you know, how can I live for the glory of God in a culture that seems so messed up? Well, here's the first. Let go of grudges. Be willing to forgive others. Things are so divided. Things are so hostile in our country right now, where it's like, choose sides, be on the right side, right? And then if anyone messes up, let's just, you know, crucify him, right? It's not the heart of Christianity. No, Paul says forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Be willing to forgive. And when you're willing to forgive, it glorifies others. When you're willing to forgive, it's for the good of others. And you know what? When you're willing to forgive, it's going to free you from the bondage and bitterness that unforgiveness brings. And in turn, it's going to lead you to a place of greater joy. It will. 
Let go of the grudges. Be willing to forgive others. Seconds, don't sell your soul to partisan politics. Christians should not find their primary identity in a party or a politician. Now, there is a place in the church for politics when cultural issues collide with the teaching of Scripture, like the sacred value of all human life, right? We stand for that. But there is never a place for the church to turn a blind eye to God's word for the sake of partisan politics. Never. It it baffles me to see Christians justify immoral behavior, abuses of power, because they think they're on God's side, right? You know, if you're on God's side, then you're going to want to honor God's word. It's simple as that. So don't find your loyalty in partisan politics. Find your loyalty first and foremost in Christ. Third, men. Treat women with respect. Treat women with respect. I can't believe I have to say this in church as if this is a thing, but in light of everything we're reading coming out of Hollywood and Washington, it needs to be said. Guys, let's do this. Treat women with respect. You know what that means? No suggestive language, no inappropriate touches. No unwanted advances, right? And if any of my pastor colleagues are in this room, it starts with us. If any of the elders are in this room, it starts with us. When you live for the glory of God, it leads to the good of others. And far too many people have really messed up in this area because they're running after their own personal joy first. And they've hurt a lot of lives, right? So men... Let's treat women with respect. Here's another, don't be a racist. You want to glorify God, don't be a racist. Don't judge people on the basis of their skin color, of their ethnicity, of their appearance. And don't think that we are, you are somehow superior, somehow more valued by God because of your racial background. James chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. You must not show favoritism, preferring some over the others. You must not discriminate, right? There's no place for this in the church. And if this is the kind of thing that floats your boat, you know, you're into some kind of white supremacist garbage, you need to know Hope Bell's not the church for you, okay? There are other places you probably can find some kindred spirits there, but that's not who we are, okay? You just need to know that, all right? A couple more. Parents? I really am in a good mood today, okay, (laughs) right? If you're going to live for the glory of God, people, you're going to stick out. It's going to feel different, right? We're not just going to go along with the flow of culture and do, you know, whatever it says. We take a stand. We live in grace and truth. Okay, parents, Make church a priority, okay? Make church a priority. And I don't say that as some legalistic box to check off that God's going to be mad at you if you miss a Sunday or two, but God, if he has entrusted children into your care, then decisions that you will make over time will send a message to them, right? It will. Is gathering with others to worship God important to your family, or is it something that you fit in if nothing else is going on? Your choices matter. They communicate priorities and what you value most. Your kids pick up on that stuff, right? So parents make church a priority. One more. Uh, share your Jesus story with other, with someone else, right? 
Share your Jesus story with someone else. Paul did it in 1 Timothy 1. We heard a bunch of people do this a couple weeks ago at our baptism service, these wonderful stories of life change. And all of us, God gives us opportunities to share with others the hope we have in him. Now, I'm not talking about ramming religion down people's throats, okay? We're, we're not about that. We're talking about the open doors that happen in everyday conversations to tell others about what God's doing in your life, about how meaningful church has been in your life these days, right? I mean, listen, we've got Thanksgiving coming up this week, time to gather with family and friends. Pray for an opportunity to share your Jesus story in an authentic and natural way. I love the way Paul does it for that very reason. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And these are just some of the ways that we can live for the glory of God in everything we do. The glory of God the good of others, which in turn will lead us to a place of personal joy. Soli Deo Gloria, God's glory alone, or to God alone be the glory. We live for the glory of God alone. A life that says, look at God, not look at me. Well, as I wrap things up, I want to share one last story with you, and it's a story from history. It's the story of the famous musical composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, lived in the 1700s. I think most of us have heard of Bach, right? His music has stood the test of time. It's still with us some 300 years later. But what you probably don't know about Johann Sebastian Bach is this, that he strongly believed that his musical talents were a gift from God for the glory of God. His musical talents were a gift from God to be used for the glory of God. And so beneath all his manuscripts, all his compositions, he would sign three initials at the very bottom. Three initials, but those initials weren't JSB, you know, for his name, Johann Sebastian Bach. No, those initials were SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. To God and God alone be all the glory. As famous as he was with access to kings and queens and princes and dukes, he kept on reminding himself that it was never about him or the glory of his name. No, whether composing a soul-stirring musical masterpiece or whether he went about the affairs of his daily routines, everything he did, he wanted to do for the glory of God. I am inspired and I am challenged by that story, and I hope you are too, right? Because no, we're never going to achieve that same kind of fame, but we all have that same kind of opportunity. Every day God gives us as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. We can live every moment of every day for the glory of God and God alone. So let's do that. Together, today, tomorrow, for the rest of our days of our lives. So that as we compose our own life masterpiece, we will write on the bottom that our motivation is for the glory of God and God alone. Let's pray together. It's incredible to think, God, that through the generations, through the centuries, because of Jesus, you are still in the business of changing lives by grace, through faith in Jesus. And there are literally hundreds of living, breathing examples of this in this room. 
watching, listening to this message. And God, because of that life change, we want our lives to point people to you. To see that you can save anyone. You can change everyone. That no one is too far from the reach of your love. So God, for those of us who know that love, we say thank you. We give you the glory. For those who may not experience that personally, Lord, may today be the day they cross that line of faith. I know that Jesus, you came. You came out of love to save sinners, even the worst of the worst. And God, as we leave this place, as we head into our week, let us be the kind of people who do all things for your glory whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we would do it all for the glory of God. And Father, even now as we turn our hearts to communion, thank you for this brilliant, shining example of the glory of God fully display on the cross of Jesus Christ, his life for us, his sacrifice for us, his love for us, always and forever. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 Hasn't this been a good message series? This has been awesome. Well, most of us could describe in detail what will happen on our Thanksgiving Day because we've done it for so many years, haven't we? Maybe the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, your favorite Turkey Day foods, a little football, uh, maybe a nap, right? Yeah, some games with family and all those things on Thanksgiving Day. We, we call these things holiday traditions or holiday rituals, and we tend to take them for granted, don't we, over the years and until we move away from family or until someone passes away and they won't be with us this Thanksgiving. And it can be that way with communion, too. A lot of us have taken communion many, many times. And if we're not careful, we can take it for granted. And I invite you as a believer in Jesus Christ, whether or not you're a member of Hopevale Church, to share in communion this morning with a new perspective. You know, in light of this message series, we've been reminded that our faith is simple. Scripture alone teaches us it's by God's grace alone, through Christ alone, through faith alone, and to the glory of God alone that we're saved, that we're rescued, forgiven, and given new life. If that's your confession of faith, again, whether or not you're a member of this church, we invite you to share in communion this morning. Worship with us. A celebrate the simplicity of our faith in Jesus Christ with us this morning. And if this is not yet your confession of faith, I, I want to invite you, give up your good works, give up your own self-salvation plans, and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, for new life, for healing, for His peace. Jesus is enough. 
And there are multitudes of people in this congregation this morning that give testimony to the truth that Jesus is enough. And so let's worship Him this morning uh, through our time of communion with a new perspective, not taking this time for granted, but being reminded of the basics of our faith. And parents, we trust your discretion and whether or not your children are ready uh, to share in this time of communion as a believer in Jesus. And if not, explain to them the truths of the gospel that we have talked about through this series. And I want to invite our, our ushers, our communion servers to come forward and let me pray for our time together. Father, we, we do thank you that the message of Christianity is simple. Sometimes we read scripture and some things are complex. Some things are, are hard to understand. Some things make us question or, or, or can confuse us. But the core message of your word, the scripture alone, is clear. You have done everything necessary to bring us back to yourself. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you gave your life, you gave your body for us. You didn't have to, you weren't forced to it, but you laid down your life for each of us so that we could come back to you. And Father, we are so thankful that you have loved us. Amen. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, at his last Passover meal with his 12 and then 11 disciples, the Lord Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take this and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Father, thank you that the truth of your gospel is simple. It's not complicated. And thank you for this simple meal of bread and grape juice that we can be reminded of the simplicity of our faith to keep the main thing the main thing not to add to Jesus so father thank you for giving us your son to be the savior of the world in his name we pray amen after the Passover meal, Jesus took the cup, the cup of redemption, and, and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you. Drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, thank you for doing everything necessary to bring us back to your Father. Thank you for leaving the eternal fellowship, the perfect communion with God the Father and the Holy Spirit and being willing to be born into this world, this messy, sinful world, to live a perfect life of obedience to your Father. Never strain in word, in motive, in thought, in deed,
we can't imagine it. And thank you for giving your life, giving your body, your blood for us. Thank you for being separated from your Father for those hours of hell for us, for us, and for your Father's glory. So Lord, we love you because you have first loved us. We worship you because you have given your life for our forgiveness and new life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. special friends. Hey, it's Thanksgiving. You have a lot for which to be thankful. And I'd love for you to join us next Sunday. We're going to kick off our, our Christmas series called Wonder with Pastor Sam, our Advent series. And, you know, I was talking to our bass player today. His name's George Puya. And uh, we're, we, we, did a, we always do a devotional on Wednesday nights. And after our devotional with the worship and tech team, uh, we were talking about how God is the great artist, and we were talking about glory. And, and he said, uh, he, he said, this is Billy, this isn't original with me, but he said, uh, hey, you know how you, you, know how you uh, really give honor and glory to an artist? I said, what? He said, you display their work. You are his work. God bless you, friends. Go display his work today, tomorrow, the next day. Let people see God through you. God bless you. Have a great day.